I want to welcome you along, especially if you're visiting with us this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Dale. It's wonderful to be here on this day when, when we contemplate the, the cost that brought us salvation. We're going to look through chapter 23 of Luke's Gospel this morning and I, I ask if you have your Bibles there that you'll open it up and we'll read it in just a moment. First, I want to just set the scene just a little bit. Every so often, I, I like to watch a movie. I'm a dog person, so if there's a dog involved in the, in the movie, I, um, I enjoy that movie. You got the slide there, Nathan? Once, about ten years ago, I was, I was watching a movie called My Dog Skip. And it's not working. I was watching this movie and it's, it's about a, a boy who grows up with his dog. There you go. It's got Kevin Bacon in it. Bacon makes everything good. <laughs> There's this particular part in the movie where, where the dog gets damaged or, or basically hurt by, by a bad guy. And, um, and I was watching it with my eldest daughter and at, at this point both of us had tears streaming down our face and, and I looked at her and she looked at me and we were both blurry because you can't see through tears properly and I said it's sad isn't it and she just you know, nodded and Usually when the dog dies in a movie, it's a, it's a sad moment, especially if it's the main character. But even more so when you'll have to be my... I'll give you the signal, Nathan. You'll have to be my clicker because my clicker's not working. <laughs> Thanks, Bree. We can always re rely on you. Usually when the dog dies in the movie, especially if it's the main character, there's a sense of sadness around it, isn't there? And, and I want us to look at the sense of sadness that we have surrounding the cross this morning. It demonstrates the feeling of, of the people that were surrounding the cross, that witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So let's set the scene just a little bit. Uh, up until this point, Jesus has been betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. We looked at that last week. He's been led away by the guards and, um, and he has been uh, brought before the chief priest. Keep clicking through, Nathan. There's the denial of Jesus, a uh, denial of Jesus by Peter. And, and Jesus has been mocked and beaten almost to the point of death. He's been brought before the Jewish council in a kangaroo-type sort of trial where there was no hope of justice. And he's then taken to Pilate, the Roman governor, because the Jewish leaders had no authority to, to put anyone to death. But Pilate knew that he was innocent, so he tries to wash his hands of him and sends him over to Herod, the Jewish governor who beats Jesus again and, and mocks him again and, and send him, sends him back to Pilate. 
And Pilate tries his hardest to release Jesus, but the priests and the crowd cry out, Crucify him! And they want Barabbas, a murderer, an insurrectionist, want him released from jail. So Jesus was taken to be crucified, nailed to a cross, hung there to die in agonising pain. One of the worst execution methods that we've ever devised as human beings. It was intended to elongate, to draw out a person's suffering and, and making their execution sometimes last for about three days. And even in the face of extreme suffering and pain, Jesus is able to ask God to forgive those who were executing him. Forgive them. They know not what they do. Let's look at Luke chapter 23, verses 44 to 49. And it'll be on the screen there for you. Verse 44, it says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we come around your word and as we are reminded of the the agonizing death that was suffered by the servant Jesus, your son, may it speak to us, may it help us recognize that it cost you greatly. Lord, may we be brought to a position of responding to you because of the great love that you have for us, because of the grace that is shown in Jesus on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There on the cross, Jesus breathed his last at about three in the afternoon. And it became the day that God died. In the Bible there's a difference between the physical death and the spiritual death. And what we have here is that Jesus dies a physical death. To try and understand this a little bit better in the way that the church fathers did, God the Son did not die physically as God. He died as man. But still, the person who died physically was God the Son. It's a hard concept for us to get our head around, but, but when we get to something like this, it should draw us to a point of, of just 
being in awe of God, saying that he knows what happened. The main reason for Jesus' death was to open the way for man to be made right with God. You see, from the beginning of humanity, instead of recognising God as our creator and the one whom we should worship, we were instead desiring other things such as created things, worshipping them, money. We'd make up our own minds as to what we would worship and who we would worship and sometimes it was ourselves. And the Bible calls this sin. And it's what separates us spiritually from God. And the best illustration in our passage this morning of how this, how Jesus' death separates us from or takes away the effects of sin and opens up the way back to God is in our passage this morning. It's in verse 45. It says, And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. In Jesus' time, the the temple was where the Jewish people went to worship. It was a magnificent piece of architecture and it had a number of different parts. As you walked in through the gates, there was a, a, a big courtyard where anyone could come in. But then as you went in further into the, into the temple, there was stipulations of who could actually go in there. Only Jewish males could go into the temple proper and towards the altar of sacrifice. There they could could uh, offer their sacrifices in order to have their sins forgiven. And the priests were the only ones that came right into the temple to to minister at the the table of bread of presence and the altar of sacrifice. And only once a year, once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies This was a a portion of the temple that was cordoned off by this massive curtain, floor to ceiling. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant and it was where God had promised to bring his presence, to meet with his people. And on the Day of Atonement, the the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people. Imagine this, he, he would have a rope tied around his waist just in case if he went in there and God's, God was displeased with him and struck him down because of something that he'd done wrong, then the other priests would be able to drag him back out of the Holy of Holies. It was this temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of... It was this curtain that separated the the temple from the Holy of Holies. And it tore from top to bottom, thus opening up the way for man to be made right with God through Jesus' sacrifice. It tore top to bottom because it was Jesus that was initiating... The, the, the pathway for, for man to be made right with God. 
And the purpose of Jesus' death was to to be the substitute for our sin, our wrongdoing. He died in our place. He brought us about genuine forgiveness. For genuine forgiveness to take place, forgiveness has to come from the offended party. Imagine it this way. You're in a hit-and-run accident. You're walking home from the shops and you got hit on the footpath. You're badly injured, but the driver left you for dead. You're in hospital, plaster from head to toe. And I come and visit you and, and say, don't worry, all will be all right. And I, I, set out, I send out a search party to find this offender. And when I find them, I say to them, you're forgiven. You would be furious, wouldn't you? If you were in the hospital, badly injured, you'd be furious that I had forgiven them. What right do I have to forgive them because I'm not the one who was offended? I'm not the one who was injured and I'm not the one with the authority to do that. It's only the offended party that can, can offer true forgiveness. And it's God who is the offended party when we sin, when we choose our way over his way. And so the purpose of Jesus' death was to make a way for man and woman to be made right with God. For us to have true, genuine forgiveness for our sins. But it doesn't stop there. It, it, it doesn't just happen automatically. There, there is a response that is required of us. And I want to look at some of the responses of those from the crowd and the, the centurion and the disciples this morning. Verse 48 says, All the crowds that had assembled around for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breast. The first, first ones that respond is the crowd. And they gathered to see this spectacle as if coming to watch a football match. They were coming to see the three guilty men crucified as, as common criminals who deserved what they were getting. And when all is said and done, they were saddened, yes, by, the, by what they saw, but, but their lives were unmoved by this spectacle. There was a response stirred in them, but it was only momentary. And they just go home, beat their breasts and get on with their lives. Have a look at the, the Roman centurion in verse 47. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God. Certainly this man was innocent. I want you to think of the hardest modern-day soldier that, that you can think of. Can I have the next slide, Nathan, please? That's the crowd. One more. 
and it's gone. I want you to think of, of the most hardest modern-day soldier that you can think of. One more. Perhaps like Ben Robert Smith, the Victoria Cross recipient, special forces soldier and veteran of, of Iraq and Afghanistan and, and East, East Timor peacekeeping. That was hard to say. He's one tough guy. He probably stands about this much taller and this much wider than what I do. And he's probably seen and done things that no ordinary citizen need to know about. There's a similar to our Roman centurion, a man in charge of a hundred battle-hardened men. Probably one of the toughest guys that you'd ever meet in the known world. And our centurion had seen probably hundreds of crucifixions. But he knew that this death was, was different. And he announces Jesus as righteous or innocent. That Jesus didn't deserve to die was his response. Have a look at the response of the disciples. Verse 49 and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him, being Jesus, from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The response of Jesus' disciples was one that is very interesting. They're almost left speechless. They just stood and and watched at a distance, unable to comprehend what was going on, perhaps afraid about what would happen to them because they were his followers. Their execution, the execution of their leader and teacher as a common criminal meant that they might be next. And they were unsure of what this would mean for them. This morning I want you to consider what your response to the news of Jesus' death will be. Will it be like the disciples where you're unsure of what is going to happen to you? Will it be like the people, the crowd that that just walk away and return to their everyday lives? Or will it be like the Roman centurion where he said, surely this man is innocent? And you're implying that Jesus died in your place. The innocent for the guilty. The righteous for the unrighteous. So that we could have our sins forgiven. And be made right with God. So that we could enjoy him forever. But a response like this is not without cost. A response that that signifies Jesus as your Lord and Saviour requires us to live as the way Jesus did. To overlook an offence. To bear up under under unjust suffering. To turn the other cheek. To go the extra mile. To love your enemies. And if that's too hard, to start by loving your neighbour to forgive those who trespass against you, to pray for those who persecute you. 
Jesus calls us to live the way that he lived, trusting God with the counterintuitive way of love and forgiveness. In just a moment, we're going to come around the communion table where we're reminded of of this sacrifice, the bread being uh, the body of Jesus broken for us. The juice symbolising his blood which washes us clean of our sins. And I want to read to you from Romans 5. If the stewards could come forward, please. Romans 5, 6 to 10 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. You see, communion reminds us not just of the death of Jesus Christ, but also of his resurrection. Reminds us that this sacrifice came at such a great cost that his body and his blood was shed for our sake. It wasn't our sin that held Jesus there on the cross. It was his love. It wasn't our sin that that held Jesus there on the cross as he bled and died. It was his love for us. We're reminded of that this morning as, as we partake in this bread and this juice, such a small symbol, and yet such a significant ceremony. If you're visiting with us this morning and, and you've not made the decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart, it's better for you to let the, the bread and the cup pass you by. But this table is open to all who profess Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And I ask that you would hold the bread and uh, take the bread in your own time, but, but we will hold the cup and drink together.